We are going to be reading in Genesis chapter 22, but before I read that, I want to read a portion out of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we are going to read a portion about, about uh, um, in, starting in verse 17, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he received him back as a type. We have the ultimate commentary on the Old Testament by reading the New Testament. This is God's commentary on the Old Testament. So it tells us that Abraham considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead. That's what was working through his mind. God was able to raise people even from the dead. So we now turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We're going to start reading from verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go into the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men, and with him with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Okay, let's look back at verse 1 of of chapter 22. And so we've been going through the book of Genesis uh, for the last year or so. We've been going through this book. And we're finally in in chapter 22. Just so that you, you understand, Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old, and that's covered in chapter 21, the last chapter. So depending on Isaac's age, 
we, we get an idea of how, uh, how old Abraham would be. If Isaac is 12 or 14, then Abraham's 112 to 114. If Isaac is, is 30, then Abraham is 130 years old. Some authors think that, this is, that, that Isaac is around 35 years old, somewhere around the age that Jesus was when he went to the cross. Other authors feel that, that no, Isaac was considerably younger at this age. And so we'll look at a few things that, that make it look like Isaac may have been younger, may have been 12 or 14 or 15 years old at the time. But in chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now it came about after these things. What things? The things that we covered in chapter 21. Interestingly, the book of Genesis is written chrono- somewhat chronologically as we go through. And so, unlike many books in the Bible, Genesis is written quite chronologically. And you see that, that, that the birth of Isaac had taken place, and then we saw this discussion with Abimelech and the sending away of Hagar. So after those things, it came about after these things, God tested Abraham. So God's testing Abraham. But Abraham doesn't know it's a test. He has no idea that a test is about to take place. All Abraham knows is, this is life. How much of our lives is God just testing us so that we can understand our own selves? God knows what the outcome is going to be. He's God. But we don't know what the outcome is going to be. But God is allowing a test. Abraham is being tested, but the man doesn't know it's a test. That God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. So now God says, Abraham. This is the first time in the entire book of Genesis, that we hit a place where God calls Abraham by name before he would just start speaking. The angel of the Lord would appear or God would speak. But now he calls him by his first name. Names have great, great meaning to people. If you, if you read How to Win Friends and Influence People, there's a whole chapter on learning people's names and what that does when you say a person's name. God speaks for the first time He speaks Abraham's name. He says, Abraham. This is the first time God is speaking his name. So you see this intimacy that's now there because he's speaking his name. Say there's a a famous person comes up to you and, and speaks to you by name. You'd be impressed. Wow, they know my name. They know my name. When somebody uses your name and that somebody is someone much higher in a sense, that means something. He calls him by name. He says, Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Hineni. Hineni is one word in Hebrew. Here I am is one word in Hebrew. Here I am. This this word Hineni that that Abraham uses does not give the sense of of, uh, location. It's more of the sense at your service. And... and, uh, uh, so when, when Abraham says, here I am, it's one word. Abraham speaks one word, Heneni, when he hears that voice. That is the only word he's going to use in this entire saga with God. You may remember in the, in the, in the former chapters, just, just in the former chapters that we read in chapter, in, in, in chapter, uh, um, uh, in, in the earlier chapters, when, when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, 
he said, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to find out if it's as bad as it is. And, and Abraham then intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, Lord, if there's 50 righteous people, would you spare the city? God says, okay, I'll spare the city. He said, well, how about if there's 40 righteous people? Would, would you not spare the city based on just 10? So you see, he inverts it. He's, he's using the difference. He's, because now it's a small number. <clears throat> how about just 10? And so <clears throat> Abraham goes into the normal Jewish man routine of negotiation. And he's negotiating with God on behalf of Sodom. Just in the last chapter, he has this conversation with Abimelech. Abimelech says, I want to make a treaty with you. So you don't, you don't hurt my children, I won't hurt, I, I won't hurt your children. And Abraham says, okay, but there's one little issue. There's a well here, and we've got to deal with that well. And so you see he goes in the Jewish man routine, and he starts negotiating with Abimelech over the well. You want, you want a treaty? Just make sure that well that I dug stays my well and your men never take it again. God comes to him, and he starts telling him some things. There's zero negotiation with God. One word is all he uses. Hineni, here I am. God said in verse 2, He said, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. When the rabbis write about this portion, they, because they have a lot of tradition around every written portion in, in the Tanakh, and it, 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 particularly in, in the first five books of the Tanakh and the, and, uh, uh, the Pentateuch. And so he says, he says, take now your son. Take now. Take now your son. So the rabbis say that, that he says, which son? I have two sons. I have Isaac and I have Ishmael. He says, your only son. He says, they're both the only son of their mother. So God says, the one whom you love. And Abraham says, I love them both. And God said, Isaac. He zeroed right in on him. And so that's what the rabbis say. We don't know if that's true, but what we know from this is, he says, take now your son. Okay, I take the son. And then he says, your only son, whom you love. This is the first time in the Bible that the word love is used. First time. is in the context of Abraham toward his son, Isaac. It's never mentioned before in the Bible, before this passage. Take your son whom you love. This has got to have great meaning in, in, as Moses is compiling this portion, as he's writing this out, that this is the first time the word love is going to be used. There is such a great relationship between these two. Whom you love. Take now your son whom you love, Isaac. So what does Moses, what does Abraham know at this point? What does Abraham know? Well, he knows that, that he's, he, God is selecting out his son, and for all he knows, God is just going to pronounce a blessing over him. So he says, take your son, okay, here he is, and go to the land of Moriah. Go to the land of Moriah. So where is the land of Moriah relative to where Abraham is now? So Abraham is down here in Beersheba, 
He's down in Beersheba, and he's got to go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's right there. This distance, if you were to drive today, if you just go to Google Maps, the distance is 62 miles. Because, because uh, uh, generally, generally it will send you a, a, across this way, and then you go down. And uh, it's 62 miles. If you were to walk directly, it'd be, it, it'd be more like 50 miles. So it's a 50-mile distance. There's Jerusalem. That's where Mount Moriah is. Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount. There is the, the, the mosque is there. Right now, that Temple Mount is the exact place where Abraham went to offer up Isaac. It's the exact place where the first temple was built by Solomon. And the ruins are still there, underground. You can go underground, under the, 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 uh, um, where the mosque, the Temple Mount is now, and you can see the ruins. It's the same place where the second temple was built, the same place where that mosque was built. It's not on top of the same stone because that King Herod had cut the top of the mountain off to make a larger area to build the city, to, to expand out what was, what was the original old city. And uh, that's pretty typical to cut off the tops of mountains. If you go to West Virginia, they have an airport on top of a mountain. You had to land on top of a mountain. Well, they cut the top of the mountain off and they have an airport up there. So, you can, so, so King Herod had done that. And, and so it's about a 50-mile distance. That's about a three-day journey. So that's, that's where they had to go. He said, go to Moriah. He said, go, go to the, the land. He said, uh, um, go to the land of Moriah. Now, the land of Moriah, he didn't specify which mountain. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So there's more dialogue that's going to come. He says, you just go to that area, I'll tell you which mountain. You say, well, Jerusalem must be the tallest mountain. It's actually not the tallest mountain. That mountain where, where the offering, it's not the tallest mountain. Now, I'm not sure that's because the top's been cut off that it's not the tallest, because, because I was standing back once on another hill several miles away, and I could see all the mountains, and the mountain where Jerusalem is is not the tallest mountain. I don't know if, it's, if, if at the time it was the tallest mountain. Some people probably know. But it's, he says, go to the land of Moriah. So he says, take your son, go to the land of Moriah. And he's probably thinking, okay, we're going to have a, a, you know, a father and son camping trip. Going to go to the land of Moriah. And he says, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Gulp. You see how this is just building up. Take your son, your only son, Isaac whom you love, lest we think that back then they didn't love people like we love people today. No, they really loved people. And a father really loved his son. And, and uh, uh, he says, you go and offer him as a burnt offering. There was no commandment given against, against offering up a child in the Bible until you get to Leviticus. And then again, it's stated again in Deuteronomy. So at this point, there was no explicit commandment against offering up your child as an offering. And he's told to do this. We don't, the, the, the one who, who compiled this, Moses who compiled this, before that it was all oral, Moses compiled it all, didn't tell us any of the other dialogue. We don't know how much other dialogue there was, but this is all the author, this is all God feels that we need to know. No dialogue here. Remember, he just said the one word, Hineni, here I am. That's it. 
one word. And now the rest he's just receiving command. He's just receiving. Now, the other thing about this is in verse 2 he says, Take now your son. Most of our Bibles don't show this, but if you go to the Young's literal translation, you will see it says, God says to Abraham, Take your son, I pray thee. I pray thee, take your son. I pray thee is the word please. Please take your son. This was not a commandment. This was not a commandment. God is saying, please take your son and do this. Abraham could have said, there's no way I'm doing this. This was not a commandment. In our Bibles, it looks like a commandment. You go to the Young's Little Translation, you go to the Hebrew, it says, I pray thee. That means please, please do this. This is a request, not a commandment. There are times where God requests requests that we do things. Not everything that he tells us is a commandment. He's requesting Abraham to do this. Abraham could well have said no. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. That means the decision was already made. He's going to get a fresh start. This decision was made. I don't think he ever told Sarah. There's no way Sarah, his wife, would let him do this. You know, sometimes when fathers are taking their sons on a camping or hiking trip, they don't tell the mother exactly what they're going to be doing. Well, we're going to go walking down a trail. You know, they don't... And because they don't want to worry the mother sometimes. Now, it may be the opposite. Maybe the mother's going to take them on a camping trip and they don't want to tell the father because the father's the worrying one. But remember that, that Sarah didn't even want Ishmael around him because he didn't think it was safe around Ishmael. We have no... We have nothing here that tells us that he told his wife because I don't think his wife would have gone for this. I mean, how many mothers would go for this? Abraham's a special sort of guy. So Abraham rose early the next morning and he saddled his donkey. I mean, this is a man with purpose. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He took two of his young men and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So he himself split the wood. He got his, his donkey saddled up. He brought two young men with him. Look at that. He brought two young men with him. They're called young men. These two helpers are called young men. And he arose and he went to the place which God told him. Verse 4, on the third day, so it's about a three-day journey, about 50 miles by walking. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. So he wasn't there yet. He wasn't there yet on the third day. This was still part of the third day. On the third day. It wasn't after the third day. Still on the third day. You can see the mountains that surround where Jerusalem is. That mountain is called Mount Moriah, where the offering is. And he was just going to the land the land of Moriah. That then became the mountain, Mount Moriah, and that also took on the name Mount Zion. And that's where the, 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 uh, the mosque is, is, is built today. There formerly were temples that were built there. So he looked, so we don't know how far he is, but he, you, you can see this from 10 miles away, easy, easily. He saw this, and then he said to Abraham, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there. So he says to the young men, I and the lad will go over there. It's as if the son, the lad, is younger than 
the young men. That's why it seems to me that Isaac is not 35 years old, or else he himself would be a man. He wouldn't call him the lad, and certainly not give him a younger age appearing than the young men that were assisting him. He calls him the lad. I am the lad. Stay here. Uh, um. He said to the young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. The first person, plural, we will worship and return to you. We will return to you. Abraham knew something here. The New Testament, the ultimate of uh, of commentaries, tells us that Abraham believed in the resurrection of the dead. Abraham had no model of the resurrection of the dead. There had been no model for him. We have the model. We know that God raised up Jesus from the dead. God can raise people from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus. Jesus raised the young man at the funeral. We have examples of raising from the dead. There are examples of raising from the dead in the Old Testament. But not yet at this point. Abraham, without an example, believed that God could raise him from the dead. Why would he believe that? Well, if you look in uh, chapter 21 of Genesis, verse 12, it says, chapter 21, verse 12, But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. Through Isaac your descendants shall be named. There had been a promise given to Abraham, that through Isaac your descendants shall be named. Isaac had no children at this point. He knew if he was going to take his life in a burnt offering, he'd have to bring him back. Because God had already promised it. The same promise was given, was given earlier to Abraham. A very similar promise was given earlier to Abraham. In, uh, um, in chapter 17, in chapter 17, It says in verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you uh, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to God to, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And then in another portion, he also mentions that it has to be, it has to be through Isaac. So that if you look in in chapter 17, verse 19, but God said, no, but Sarah, your wife will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. So there's no mistake. He's calling his name Isaac. You shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Through Isaac was going to have to have descendants. That was the command. Once God says something, it has to happen. It can't not happen. It must happen. When God says it will happen, it will happen. And Abraham really believed this and knew it. Abraham knew it to be true. And that's why he could go forward in chapter 22 and he says, I and the lad will return to you. It's not like he's going to bring back a dead body. You don't bring back a dead body from a burnt offering. It burns up. I and the lad will return to you. He knew something that we don't, didn't know. This man had a very deep faith and it tells us in Hebrews that he believed that God could raise people even from the dead. 
Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac. The father laid the cross on Jesus. Jesus carried his cross. Isaac carried the very wood that was going to be used to consume him. You see the analogies here. Abraham took the wood. It was Abraham who took the wood and laid it upon his son's back. And he took his, in his hand the fire, so they had a little oil, oil fire, a little oil lamp with a fire. You can see the, they have lots of them today in Israel that, that, that are relics. And it just looks like a little, little teacup, a, a, a little uh, a, a teapot and, and, uh, with a wick coming out of the spout. And he took the fire with him, because I guess they didn't have matches back then. And, and uh, he took the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. This word together, walked on together, is yachdad. Yachdad means absolute oneness. The two of them are in absolute oneness. They are one. They are one. You couldn't have a more oneness of a word. The two of them walked on together. The sense that you get, this father and son were so close. They were just right by each other's side, walking. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, in verse 7, and said, My father. This is the first time in the Bible you ever see a father and a son speaking to each other. Again, the first time. God is is telling us something. There's something amazing about this relationship. The first time you hear about love. The first time you hear... God speaking the name Abraham. The first time a father is having a conversation with a son. And how does he address his father? He said, my father. Not just father. Not just father. But my father. My father. And he said, here I am. Heneni. That one word. Heneni. Here I am. My son. Look at the closeness here. Here I am. My son. My son. When... when when I have my sons with me, and it's in a, a particularly endearing moment, I will say of them, my son, my son, and I will just hold them, my son. Abraham is doing that. My son. Isaac is saying, my father. Not just father, but my father. They are together, Yahdad. They are one in this. They're absolutely one. You see this conversation going. And he said... Behold the, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This is another indication that, that uh, um, Isaac is just a teenager because teenagers don't think about what to bring when you go on a trip. They don't. And, and uh, um, when, when we brought our two girls to their college rooms, I mean, we were packing for months. I mean, months. When... It was two nights before we had to bring my son. And I said, do you have everything? He says, what do I need? <laughs> he said, I, I got my computer. I got, I got, this, I got a few clothes. What, what, else, what else do I need? And he's like, what are you thinking? Where's your mind in this? These young men don't think about this sort of thing. If, if, if this guy were 35 years old and his father was 135... Don't you think that Abraham says, we're going to, to uh, uh, the land of Moriah and, and we're going to have a burnt offering there? That, 
this 35-year-old would have made sure that they had the fire and the knife and the wood and the lamb for the offering. But young people don't think of anything. They don't worry about it. Then you get in there like, Dad, where's the lamb? Oh, like, gee, I just don't know. It's a good thing you pointed that out. I never thought of that. So that, that's what makes you understand that this is, you know, a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Again, Yachdad, the two of them walked on together. God will provide for himself the lamb. This could be taken from the Hebrew in two ways. Either God will provide it, or God himself will be the lamb. The reading of the Hebrew allows you to say, God himself will be the lamb. It doesn't, the reader cannot tell if they're reading in Hebrew, if God is going to provide an exogenous lamb, or God himself will be the lamb. And, and uh, so you see the analogies to Jesus Christ. You see in this, this picture of Jesus that God is providing this lamb. Jesus has given his life for you. Jesus took your sin and he carried your sin upon the cross. Jesus took your sin and carried your sin upon the cross with him. He died for you. If you do not know him, I urge you this day, I plead with your soul, come to know Him this day. Jesus loves you dearly. God Himself took the very best thing that He had, the life of His own Son, whom He loves, who the two of them were this were together in everything, this absolute closeness, and He allowed Him to be offered up on your behalf. That is how much He loves you. Jesus Himself gave himself for you. Turn to, turn to uh, uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're going to start reading from verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9 says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Jesus says, just as my Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So if you think God doesn't love you, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus said, just as my Father has loved me, I have loved you. There is no question that Jesus loves you. You might have a question in your own mind, but that's mind confined. It's not real. Many times we perceive things that aren't real. You know, we perceive there's danger out there. And it turns out there's no danger. It was just your puppy dog that was there. You're perceiving something if you feel that God doesn't love you. Jesus said, just as the Father has loved me, to the extent that my Father loves me, I love you. That's what Jesus said. Just as my Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. Huh? Jesus said, I've loved you so much, but it's up to you to abide in my love. You are to abide in my love. That means that I have the ability to step outside of His loving care. 
I have the ability. He would not have told me to abide in his love, which means live under my love. If I had no choice but to live under it. If I had no choice, he wouldn't say, he doesn't have to tell me abide in my love if I'm chained under his love. It's up to me to abide under it. We have the ability to step out from under his loving care. You can step out of his house anytime you want to and step out of his loving care. That's why he said, abide in my love. Well, how do I abide in your love? That's kind of nebulous. What do you mean, abide in your love? What does that mean? So he explains it to us in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. If you keep the commandments of Jesus Christ, you will abide in his love. That's how you stay in His love. You keep His commandments. And you cannot know His commandments unless you read the Scriptures. You cannot know it unless you read the Scriptures. That's why I urge you this day to get in this pattern of reading the Scriptures. Getting this pattern of reading the the Word of God. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. The same way that I stay in, in the abiding love of my, of my Father is I keep His commandments. Jesus said, said, what I have heard from my Father, I tell the world. What I've heard from my Father, I tell the world. You need to stay under His love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Some people read this, yeah, God wants us to have joy so we can do whatever we want. No, it's total opposite. You have joy when you abide under His love. You keep the commandments of God and you will have joy. You step out from them and you will not. It is really digital. You stay under his commandments and you will have joy in your life. You will have a good home. You will find a good spouse. Your children will honor you if you stay under the commandments of God and walk in them. If you don't, you won't. Your life is before you. Will you choose this day to abide under his love? For believers, abide under His love. For unbelievers, I urge you this day, let your souls come under the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come under the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given His life for you. He's given His life for you. He rose from the dead and He lives forevermore. Come under His love this day. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. You want the joy of God in your life? That's how you do it. You come under the commandments of God. You stray from His commandments. You will not experience His joy. And I see lives get messed up all the time by straying from the commandments of God. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Today we're going to have a lunch and I invite you to that lunch. This is, this is, this is a special day in that in that Shireen is away, she's out of town. So normally we have the lunch at my home. So we can't have it at my home today because Shireen is not there and I don't know how to entertain 80 people. 
I don't know how to do, I don't know how to entertain like one person. I have trouble. I'm like, uh, uh, do, do you want something? <laughs> Why were you here again? <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to do this. But, but um, so we have lunch in the chapel today. We have lunch for you. So many people have been cooking, so please come to lunch. If you don't know the Lord, I absolutely urge you to come to the lunch today because I want to share my story of how Jesus came into my life. I want to share that with you. So please come. This is so simple. You just walk downstairs and people will serve you lunch. And I will tell you a story. It couldn't be easier. You are without excuse. You have to come today. And let me tell you about Jesus. Please, if you're an unbeliever, let me tell you about Jesus. I will just, I will just gravitate right toward you. Just come to me and tell me that you've never received Jesus and you're going to be my guest sitting right next to me at a table down there. Other people will serve us food. You eat, I'll talk, and we'll have a great time together. All right? Please come today. Let me tell you about Jesus because this is what really fulfills me is being able to tell people what Jesus has done in my life because I love Jesus so much. I love Jesus so much over and over. Forever I will love him. He has done so much for me. He is so good and kind and gracious and always that way. Come to Him. Come to Him. Let me tell you about Jesus this day. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. And I pray for these young people that You would draw them to Jesus this day. Father, if there's anyone here who does not know you, I pray that they would say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. That they would learn to abide under the commandments of Jesus Christ. And this is what the word says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that they would take on the belief in Jesus Christ this very day that they would come and hear my story and get saved today. Lord, save a soul today, I pray. And Lord, I pray for the believers who are here, that they would learn to come under the commandments of God. Father, that their joy may be complete. Father, that they would learn what a oneness is in a family, that they would learn all the good things that you have for us in a home where God is honored. Father, do this in their lives. The grace of God be upon them. Lord, thank you for your word. Just burn it right into our hearts, Lord. Seal it in our hearts for the glory of Jesus. Oh, my Lord Jesus, the one whom I love, the one whom my soul loves, I offer this to you. Father, take these words that I've I've spoken this day, weak as they might be, and use them to touch the hearts of these young people that they might have good lives that honor you. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.